What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster, T.O. and Fanta podcast. That is the DTF podcast. It is Tuesday morning, May 10. I am live here. My name is Rob Doster. I have John Fanta. I have Terrence Oglesby here with me. It was a relatively quiet weekend in the world of college basketball, but there are a couple things uh, that we need to talk about in regards to the NIL. I'm going to set a timer when we start this. We are only going to spend 10 minutes on NIL. I am so over talking about NIL and collectives and all of that uh, all of that nonsense. We're also going to get into some of the most influential draft decisions that are left for players testing the waters. And we're going to talk about the new coaching hires. We are doing a series on that over on uh, our YouTube channel um, on the field of 68. So we're going to break all of that down but first and foremost before we get into everything. John Fanta. Terrence Oglesby, how are you guys? How was your weekend? Was it great? Excellent. Was covering some lacrosse down in D.C. It was a big weekend of lax. It was a big weekend of horse racing, uh, which was just absolute insanity. It's on my bucket list to get to the Derby. Have you been to the Derby, Terrence? I have not. My mother has been to Churchill Downs, and she went to the Derby. But she was working in Louisville at the time. So, no, I have not been. I, I, I want to go because my wife's big into horses, but I have not made the trip yet. We'll all have to go. That would be a heck of a trip. I would love a book report after all this from our friends at Bet Rivers because I'm just wondering, there's going to be a documentary, if not a two-parter, on, on this win and on this Kentucky Derby in particular. We talked about how college basketball needed this past Final Four with Duke and Carolina. Horse racing really needed and needs a clean week here. Uh, this race in the Kentucky Derby, like I want to know the guy who was crazy enough to put a couple hundred bucks on this horse and ends up coming home to the wife and saying, our next five years are covered. Because uh, <laughs> I, that those are the stories that I would love to hear. Whose life did it change? But it's just, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a weekend of everything but college basketball, guys. Big fight. Uh, you had horse racing. You have NBA playoffs are in full force. Uh, man, Grizzlies came so close, so close to evening up that series. But uh, but the Warriors find a way. You got hockey going on. It's a, this is a it's that time of year. It's why people like the Final Four to me is such a starting point because it launches a spring of activity. But I'm good. I'm good. Covering some college lacks was fun. Yeah, what, what was what, what's what's that been about? Like I, you and Goodman and Norlander keep tweeting about lacrosse news. Why why is this happening? Can you confirm to the people why there keeps being lacrosse stories and, and tweets about uh, lacrosse coaches coming across my timeline? Because I don't understand it. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, what happened is St. John's let their coach go last week, and he had been there for sixteen years, and his conference record was something in the range of 20 and 70. 
So in, in LAX, you don't play many games. So people would look for 16 years. You only played 90 conference games. You play like six conference games a year. It, lacrosse is, is a sport that I'm not going to call it easier, but for the student athlete, they play once a week, maybe twice a week. They, they don't, they're not playing as often as some of these other sports are. So this guy, over somehow over 16 years at St. John's, went about 20 and 70. So they let him go, but the, the men's basketball SID at St. John's sent out the email alert to his full distribution list. So because there was not much going on last week on a Wednesday <laughs> and nobody likes to report scandal more than our friend Goody, he had he had to tweet this out because nobody likes to also report things that are surrounding St. John's University basketball than Jeff Goodman. And so he wanted to have a little bit of fun. So then Norlander got in on the fun because there wasn't much going on. It was a dead hour. And these guys had to jump in on what was uh, St. John's. And then in the same hour, Providence also letting their coach go. Uh, these guys had to jump in on the scoops because there wasn't that much going on in college hoops. We've reached, we have reached the stage a brief stage of the off season, albeit because there's something still going on every hour. These guys had two free hours on Twitter. They saw this story start to break. They saw it with St. John's. They thought of crazy St. John's fans because let's face it, Rob NTO among all of the things to try and transform this back into to college basketball. You could say whatever you want about St. John's, but there are two things you can say about St. John's. One is, they're very compelling in the offseason. They've brought in Andre Curbelo from Illinois. We haven't really talked about that on this pod. They brought in David Jones from DePaul, quality player. They have a, a, a kid named AJ Store coming in who's a big-time recruit. Good and, player. Good and player. they have a couple of others. The point is, between their passionate fan base and their offseason moves, they're always compelling. And the second thing is, is that typically during the regular season, it goes this way. But it's very entertaining to watch because there's always some things to watch with St. John's basketball because they play around New York and people pay attention to them and people get their hopes up. And then like New York sports, things typically go the other way. We will see if this upcoming season, there's a reversal of script. I don't know. Andre Curbelo in Queens. It's interesting with Posh Alexander. It, oh, Rob's look on his face. Is that what is that? I mean, look, when you're trying to find a way to play winning basketball, that's built on a defense. The first guy, the very first guy that I think of is Andre Curbelo. He is, I don't know if there's a more uh, savvy, defensive oriented kind of calm presence at the point guard spot. Would you play Posh Cur- Alexander? Would you play Curbelo and Alexander together? Well, they're going to be your two yeah. best players. You have to. You do. You would be, dude. You're gambling all over the map. You're going for every steal. You're leaving the rim wide open. They better have some rim protectors. Like Posh can guard. I love Posh Alexander. By the way, I I got to watch him several times last season. But Andre Carbello, like he's going for every steal. He's wildly undisciplined. He's so much fun to watch. And in their helter skelter, guys, they were number one in the country in pace. I don't know. I think they're going to get even faster, Rob. They're going to get even faster. I don't they know were number I'm... one in the country in base. They're going to be faster. Are we really calling Andre Curbelo fun to watch? I, I, I think... love it. I, dude, it is The such reason a you watch Andre Curbelo is because you never know what's going to happen. It's right. That's, that's what makes it, it fun. You know, that, you know that new meme out there? It's like, don't never tell them what your next move is going to be. 
right? Have you guys seen that? You never, yeah. never let him know what your next move is going to be. That's what Andre Corbello is because but, you never know what his next move is going to be. He could make this unbelievable spinning layup where it is this 360 in the air. He goes between two guys, gets it off the backboard with this ridiculous amount of spinning. You say, I have no idea how he did that. Or what he could do is instead of finding a wide open guy for a layup, he might just pump the ball into the second deck. Sure, All of these things could happen. That's why you watch Andre Corbello. You never hey, know what happens at a two to one ratio. I'm living with it. <laughs> if it happens at a two to one ratio, I'm living with it. Turnovers, turnover, whether he dribbles it off his foot, kicks it into 15th row or just hands it to the other team. Turnovers, turnover, how he does it. I don't care. I think like how fast St. John's and I love this Phantom. I'm, I'm just going to let New York people take off with this because you said, <laughs> ah, you know, St. John's, they just go up in the off season's a lot of fun. And then like all New York sports, I heard that. Like all New York sports, it just kind of starts to go downhill during the it's whole true. thing. It's true. It is true, but I'm not going to let it slide because I no one, no one went by there because like Rob just started talking. But watch out, New York. Fanta's ready to come for you. No, no one, I, no one I wants the, the New York like a team from New York City. Uh, it happens in every single sport. <laughs> I want the New York teams to do well, but I've been yeah. here since 2013. I haven't seen any sort of thing close come to a championship other than the Mets making the World Series one year and they lost to the Royals. The thing is, St. John's, this is why, this is what's fun about about St. John's. Two years ago is the thing that's most absurd. They go on some crazy surge. They win like seven of eight games, six of seven. They, They won at UConn on MLK Day. I remember watching the game. It was one of the few games on. They go to UConn, they win. Everybody starts talking about them. They Villanova comes to Queens. Remember they beat Villanova? Mm-hmm. The, like Alexander just owns Gillespie. And I'm thinking to myself, we're all thinking to ourselves, is this team going to like find a way to just get into the edge of the garage into the tournament? Because this, this is what happens. They, they, they lose at home to DePaul and the season ends. <laughs> like three weeks of work, of work, like, uh, and a great pub. They're playing really well. You're, you're bought in. You're starting to be like, yeah, yeah, St. John's could win the Big East tournament. They could come up. It's, it was just, it was peak New York sports. That's enough St. John's chatter. But the point is, Curbelo just adds to the flair. He adds to the flair. You do not know what the hell you're going to get. It. Him and Alexander, who's going to be the alpha there? Because Alexander's the alpha guy. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be posh. posh it's going to be alpha. posh, but, but Curbelo's got to then, you know, like it's almost like he has to pull back. Does he pull back? I don't freaking know. I don't think he has that button to pull back. No. That's what I'm saying. That's there's going to be, it's gonna be so, a fight, be so, fight on the court television. at some point. One, those two are going to end up fighting on the court at some point. And I'll tell but you the this. The point much. is, back to your lacrosse question, it was because St. John's changed coaches and not like Colorado or, or another random school. Goodman saw St. John's and it's like, Hey, look, we could we could tell some stories about to you guys about what Goodman does in the offseason when he gets bored and he has his phone by him. It gets it gets a little <laughs> reckless and a little ridiculous. And you can uh, never tell if he's being real or sarcastic. No, you had a hell of a quip the other week, Fanta, when you were like, oh, we don't want to know about your search history, Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> After yeah. you got Twitter shot. Twitter hacked. For- yeah, that yeah. happened since our last pod too. Hey, all right, hack. we'll we'll talk about hack. it again. That's we're gonna we're gonna close with that. We're gonna get that full yeah. story. The hackening, uh, yeah, the hackening. The, 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 the hackening. Uh, before <laughs> we do that, look, we got to talk about this nil stuff that is uh, <sighs> that is happening for the people that are unaware. Um, the Division One Board of Directors released new guidelines regarding the involvement of boosters in recruiting. Uh, I have a quote right here that kind of sums up everything you need to know. Um, this is from University of Georgia president, who is also the board chair. Uh, I think it's, is it Yeri Moorhead? Jir Moorhead? 
Mr. We're going to go with Mr. Moorhead. While the NCAA may pursue the most outrageous violations that were clearly contrary to the interim policy adopted last summer, our focus is on the future. The new guidance establishes a common set of expectations for the Division I institutions moving forward, and the board expects all Division I institutions to follow our recruiting rules and operate within these reasonable expectations. Essentially, what they are trying to do is to get boosters out of the process of getting players to uh, different schools and getting transfers going to different programs. Uh, They basically want to limit the influence that collectives have on recruiting. No inducements from boosters, no saying, like uh, um, uh, uh, Ruiz, what's uh, the guy at Miami? Yeah. No, no, uh, no saying you can get $400,000 a year for two years. If you come to Miami from me, they want to get that out of the game. uh, And it sounds like they're going to try to retroactively, uh, punish some of these boosters that have been heavily involved, although it does not seem like it's going to be everybody since it kind of became, this is what you have to do to survive in this uh, marketplace. So, That's such a strange thing, man. I'm so I'm like, I, it's such a strange thing. Like, how are you going to distinguish between NIL and these things, which is the whole thing. Sorry to interrupt you, Doster. I know I'm the worst, but like it, they, we were talking about Nasir Cunningham. I was talking to somebody the other day. He's the number one player in the class. I think 24, either 24 or 25, one of the two. And he signs with this uh, overtime elite league in Atlanta, but he declines for the pay for play option to where he can still get NIL money. So theoretically mm-hmm. he could still get paid by the exact same people, but through a separate entity. And then it's like, well, it's just NIL money. So like, where do you draw the line in these things? And now the thing I figured, the only thing that you're going to be able to do guys is if the NCAA actually comes up with and acknowledging the pay for play, because what you do then is then you can rein in some of these collectives and you can set salary caps and the players can unionize the rest of this stuff. Like the horses are out of the barn guys. Like, what are you going to do? Like it's done. These things are going to happen. And for you to say like, you can't induce kids to come to a certain school because of, particular NIL opportunities, guys, they're going to go to some of these bigger, bigger schools and bigger cities because of the NIL opportunities. It only makes sense. And so it's, it's a very confusing time for everybody. I don't think there's any way to get it back. You're never going to get it back. You're never going to get it back. And one of the issues that we're running into right now is that there was never any structure put in place. Like if these rules were put in place 10 months ago, where they basically said, look, no matter what happens, you cannot have boosters involved in the recruiting process. And you made that explicit and you punished people and you, you sent out sanctions the first time that one of these uh, popped up. And I'm not saying that collectives shouldn't exist. I think that that's a good way to kind of, uh, be able to reward players that have big games and big seasons. Like uh, essentially I, I was talking to one guy involved with it and the way that it works at that program, I don't want to say which program it is. Um, Cause I don't know if he'd be okay with me talking about it, but essentially what happens is you have this collective, right? They, uh, they have a pool of money that they give to, to, to players for podcast appearances, for media appearances, for doing different shows, for doing different interviews. And if you have a kid that goes out there and let's just say, I don't know, someone drops 35, in a, in a game right and then all of a sudden they want they want you on this like team specific podcast then you could pay that kid five grand to go jump on that podcast and that is basically it, it's it's pay for play but that's how you kind of get around it where there is a reward because you're promoting something on 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 uh these podcasts and these different platforms um but here here's here's where the issue is because all these coaches have these different boards that go on like deflections charges taken all that stuff like, are you devaluing that other stuff? Or is it just the guy that gets 35? It's, it's however it works. I'm, but I, I'm basically just saying, like, there's 
that's kind of how th- this works. There's other programs I've been told where um, every member of the football team basically has essentially a $60,000 salary is what they're getting is, is the base. And then every student athlete is getting like five to 10 K if you are just a part of um, the, this program and on scholarship there as an athlete, but go ahead. Fancy. You got something to say, go ahead. All right. You remember when you were in grade school, I'm going to get you into like fourth or fifth grade. And it was at the end of the year or during the Christmas time. And you had your, your big class party. Right. And if you were like me at my grade school, at some point in your, in your class, one of your class parties, whatever the grade was, they'd bring out sheet pizzas. Okay. To the class big, you know, remember this guy's big. If you're in a class, you had a pizza party, bring out the big pizzas and, Sheep, sheep pizzas, sheep, sheep pizzas? pizzas, like sheep pizzas, meaning oh, like I thought big. you were assuming the pizza's gender. I thought you said sheep pizzas. Nope. Nope. Sheet pizzas. <laughs> they bring out the sheep pizzas. Stay with me here. And, and at the first party you go, you'd have a, you'd be a pig and you know what? You would have a great time. You'd be eating your pizza. You'd be rolling. Then you get to party two or three. And because they ran out, and because somebody went back and was like, I only have one slice, I'd want. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, well, two slices per kid. But if you were like me and the other guys in the class, you're like, screw that. I've been taking six all along. I'm not going to start to pull back. That's what this announcement was yesterday. Yep. This announcement was attempting to put rules on something you can't put rules on unless you collectively bargain. Let me list the two most important lines of this NCAA release that openly admit that they're flawed. Number one. Uh, Number one here. Hold on. If I can find it. The board. This is great podcasting. (laughs) I know. Right. The board directed the enforcement staff to review the facts of individual cases, but to pursue only those actions that clearly are contrary to the published interim policy, including the most severe violations of recruiting rules or payment for athletics performance. In other words, the most severe violations of money and of, of, of uh, tampering are going to be the ones that we review. In other words, you're saying you can't possibly legislate everything that's gone on in the NIL space. No. So you're just going to take on the most severe ones. And then the second one. Well, hold on. Before, before you go on, here, me, here's what they're basically saying. Miami. Don't fucking make it public. Like, if you got to do your dirt, do what you got to do. But stop going on all these national radio shows and saying, I paid $400,000 a year for Nigel Pack. Then you have situations like Isaiah Wong being like, I want more money than that. No, like, come on. Just keep it quiet. That's all you got to do. If John Ruiz is dumbass and get out there on every single platform possible, telling people how much money he has and how much he's spending on these players, we would not be necessarily, well, the, the NCAA would be cracking down on it, but it would not be something where they're like, okay, we got to get this shit done now because we look like fucking idiots. That's what it is. The second one oh. is while the NCAA may pursue the most outrageous violations that were clearly contrary to the interim policy adopted last summer. Our focus is on the future. Listen to that language. While the NCAA may, may pursue, you are openly admitting that you can't have any uniformity in your approach, that you may pursue one outrageous case, but you may not pursue another. 
How does that make it any fair? How is that fair? This is not fair. There's no legislation on this. And then in the release, they say, it's on you, the schools. It's on the schools because we're the NCAA and we don't actually have any control. So no, schools, they don't. You're How the they ones. Talk to anyone? You're the ones. Schools, you've got to report this. Schools, you've got to uphold your standard. What standard? There is no standard, and there is no way to properly legislate this. This is like the person that's trying to be your parent. It's it. Every child that either has divorced parents or unfortunately doesn't have a parent. Uh, or because of some situation, has somebody try to be a guardian and it's in every movie and TV show of you're not actually my dad and the person storms off. The NCAA is trying to be everybody's dad right now. And guess what, dad? You have problems yourself. Get out of my life. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with a lot That's of what, what you is. said. Yeah, no, you're you're right. That is what it is. The, the one thing I do want to say is, T.O., you made a very important point, I think. We got about a minute and a half here before I'm ending this NIL conversation. The end Can we get back here. to St. John's? <laughs> no. The end game here is going to be, if you really want to get this under control and you really want to make it normalized and you really want to have any kind of structure to the system, what you have to do is accept the fact that college athletes, especially the, uh, the, the, the men's basketball and college football players, are pros. That, they, that this is yeah. not just student athletes anymore. You need to accept that fact. Stop trying to hide behind this narrative that these are regular students, right? Accept that they're an employees. Allow them to collectively bargain. Allow them to be able to to have a a some kind of salary cap. Allow them to uh, to to create terms of engagement with these schools and with these programs and with the NCAA. Allow them to have some kind it of won't structure be with- so you can sign enforceable contracts that protect everybody. That protect the school. It- that protect the people that are dropping those bags and to protect the players themselves. That's what you have to do. But it won't but it's be never with the happen. NCAA. It won't be with the NCAA because that very structure goes against everything yes. that their foundation is based on. They're, yes. They are There's not able to call it pay for play. This is pay for play. And until they acknowledge what it is, this is never going to work under their umbrella, which is why college athletics, as we have known them, are in the greatest jeopardy they've ever been in. Nice job ending that one out. Yep. Nice job. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and <laughs> 10 seconds of it was me looking for a quote. Uh, you, you said nice job begging that one out. I was going to say, yeah, we've uh, Teal's heard that one before. <laughs> Got to be quick. Got to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we uh let's let's, let's keep it moving I, i'm i i'm so over this conversation but it feels like it's the only thing we have to talk about at this point um no, all it's right. not we got plenty to talk oh, about st john's is going to be a freaking bunch of road runners it is going to be <laughs> listen, amazing listen, listen i can't if we wait to, if we to watch spend one john's more minute on st john's yeah you guys are all fired and i'm i'm gonna go hire but man podcast <laughs> Kenny pom-poms. Kenny pom-poms. All right, let's talk about the most influential draft decision for guys that are still kind of testing the waters that have not uh, made it clear that they are leaving. I asked you guys to come up with your, with your three yep. uh, most important and biggest names. TL, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Just give me one, and we'll kind of roll through, and we'll each uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk through them. Actually, okay. just give me, your, give me your top three, and we'll, we'll all kind of talk. Okay, so I, w- I went with three schools because I'm the worst. Uh, first of all, I think uh, – I bet you were so much fun in, uh, in, in school, huh? When you were like, hey, T.O., I need you to do a book report on this. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I, uh, I, 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 instead of doing a book report, I solved this math problem. I have a great Never. story. A great Never. story behind a book report. Go ahead. 
No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, one that I'm really interested in, because I think he needs an extra year. Uh, and I think if he stays one more year, he'll end up being a lottery pick is Max Christie at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. This guy needs time. Uh, I think he needs to realize he needs time. I realize that he was the number one shooting guard in the country coming out of high school. You could see the tools were there. He's got great length. I think one more year with Izzo, with him getting comfortable, with him putting some weight on his body, I think he could have a terrific sophomore season. I think he's a guy that will get drafted if he stays in because he's got a lot of measurables and he's got a soft touch and the tools are there. But I think one more year of production, one more year of playing under Izzo could really do him a lot of good. So I I, I think – the biggest one, maybe in terms of both his team and his individual development, I think Max Christie's a guy that needs to stay one is, more year. Is he Jaden Ivey slash Johnny Davis kind of a situation? I, I could, I could, he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much, but I could see him getting anywhere from 14 to 17 and a half a game next year because of his ability to shoot it. Like he would have spurts guys of being really good. And then he would have spurts of where he would just disappear from the face of the earth and nobody knew where he went. So, like, that's that's a guy that I really feel moving into next year uh, if he decided to come back. I, I still think he's going to be a productive NBA player because a lot of the things that he has, NBA values. But I also think, like, if he comes back for one more year, he could have a great season. Yep. I, uh, I like that one. Fanta, give hey. me one. Jalen Terry from Arizona. Because if he comes back – he can be a first-team All-American caliber player, somebody that you're talking about as one of the best players in the country and somebody that uh, can lead Arizona to a Pac-12 championship and beyond. I think that Terry is a really interesting prospect right now. I think he's a really good player. But I think he stands to benefit by coming back to college, both for his skill set and for the money that he can guarantee himself in the NIL space and the face that he can be in college basketball. I love Terry's game. I really do. And if you look at his numbers and his the, the metrics, if you take a deep dive on his overall game, guys, he has a growing package. I think he's one of the guys that with another year of college experience ends up catapulting himself to even more dollars in the NBA draft. So Dalen Terry is a name that I'm looking at at Arizona that has a big decision, but I think it could be slightly beneficial. I'm thinking like a, a, a 65-35 here, where 65 says, go back to college. Dale and Terry, it'd be great to have you back in college basketball. I think you can benefit. I don't think you hurt yourself either way, but I think the rewards could potentially be greater if you give yourself another season of college hoops. That's a decision I'm really looking at, guys, for the landscape of Arizona and the Pac-12. I think it's huge for Arizona if he comes back because oh, yeah. you look at what's kind of on that roster heading into next season. I mean, you basically have a bunch of guys that uh, were, were freshmen and sophomores um, last year with the the two Bellises, uh, with Omar Ballo, with um, Kirk Kreese and all those guys. So having having someone that can kind of be that calming presence is big. To me, the, the obvious name here is Drew Timmy because um, I think that eventually he probably does end up coming back to school. I don't know. Uh, I just don't know if he's an NBA player with kind of the, the, the way he's not. Now. And no. if you look at what they have with, um, with, with Gonzaga, with Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, uh, if you can combine those two as sophomores with Drew Timmy at the five, uh, all of a sudden you're looking at, once again, a team that should be top three in the country. But, yeah, but- uh, that, one's, that one's too obvious to me. I'm going to go with Marcus Sasser at Houston. Sasser was a guy that uh, his season ended 
um, right around the new year, right? Did he? Break, I think he broke his foot, or was it? It broke. Yes. Mm-hmm. He broke broke something in a lower extremity. Surely, it was shortly after that Alabama loss. Yeah, so he broke something in a lower extremity that ended his season way too early. Uh, he averaged seventeen points, a um, couple assists, shot forty three percent from three. He was kind of an on ball player. It was exactly what Houston looks for when it comes to that kind of uh, that kind of lead guard role. And if he comes back and you get Toronto Mark back with the way that uh, Jamal Shedd played um, and with all of the big guys that you know, like Houston just has an endless supply of six foot eight dudes that are tough as shit and yeah. crash a glass. You put Marcus Sasser on that team. I think we're looking at a team that is legitimately like right there as uh, the favorite, the, the legitimate favorite to win the national title heading into next season. Let me ask you guys a question here for a second. Let's do an exercise because this is the exercise that people should be doing when they're thinking about this decision. Is Drew Timmy an NBA player? No. Okay. Could Drew Timmy make seven figures worth of money by coming back to college? I don't know the situation up there, but I would assume it would be enough to where he probably more than the rookie minimum. How's that? Could Drew Timmy make as much money if he does what he plans to do and if Gonzaga does what they normally do? Could he make those types of dollars that the other top players in college basketball are making this upcoming season? Could Drew Timmy make that kind of money? Mm -hmm. Is there any percent chance of a guarantee that Drew Timmy makes that kind of money by going pro? Yes. Is there any percent chance? No. No, all you need is one team to fall in love with what you can do. Right. No one thought Jordan Poole was going to end up being a first round pick. He was a first round pick. Right. All you need is one team to fall in love with your ability, especially if you're a guy that can be stashed overseas or something like that and is okay with that. So all you need is one team to Mm. fall in love with what you can do. Right. What's the better bet? I think I I think he would be better off coming back to school. Uh, You could be a legend. You can certify yourself as being the guy that is going to forever be associated with gonzaga's final four national title run you can put yourself in the conversation for greatest college basketball players of all time um you can set yourself up he probably already has but you can set yourself up for appearance fees and all of these different things the same way that tyler hansborough kind of has done he's he's always going to be able to make his money and you never know maybe if he has a three-point shot he gets a little bit quicker on his feet sure uh, he could be someone that could be a first round pick down the road he's somebody that'll end up He's somebody who needs to capitalize on NIL because he's somebody that's yes. going to end up in the in the ACB in Spain, playing for yes. Grand Canaria and making you know three fifty to five hundred thousand. Exactly. He's got. Let's let's call a spade a spade. In in today's NBA, he probably has a twenty percent chance, if that, if that. And I'd probably say ten. I'm being. I'm trying to be nice, but yeah. I mean, Drew, acknowledge your game. You are not fast-footed, okay? And you're somebody who plays the college game at a terrific level, but the game just doesn't match up with 2022 NBA. Come back to school. Be one of the faces. If not, make an effort to be the face of the sport. Keep growing that mustache. Just for men, Old Spice, they will all give you a phone call, buddy. You'll make a ton of money. You'll win a lot of games. And maybe you can be the guy that charges Gonzaga to the mountain that they've never been on. Like at the end of the day, what's the incentive to play at Gonzaga for a player like Drew Timmy to do something that hasn't been done, win the damn thing. So I think it's a total win, win, win. If you come back 
to Gonzaga. You are staring at a blackjack hand, right? And the dealer is asking you if you'll, because he's got an ace, and the dealer is saying, do you want the even money? Go take your even money. Don't get greedy. Don't get greedy, man. Take the even money. You're going to come out with a large chunk of change. I agree. I also think he, he, I think he should absolutely 100% go through the process and get all the information that he can go. Absolutely. Go, go, go take your workouts, go take visits, go. Everybody should. Yeah. Get, get your interviews with the, the people in the front offices, go do everything you can get all the information you can meet all the people you can. At the end of the day, the more relationships you have, um, the more people you know, the more conversations you can have, the more you get in front of these people and showcase who you are as a person, uh, the better off you are. I had one more guy I wanted to listen to, T.O., you can go. Uh, I think Jalen Williams from Arkansas is quietly like, uh, mm-hmm. will have as much impact, whether or not he comes back, will have as much impact on what Huge. college basketball is in 2022-23 um, as anybody. Uh, I mean, look, that that guy... Frank Martin, when we had him on, he said it best. He's like, that dude's not super athletic. He doesn't really pop off the page, uh, but he is the best defender in the SEC because he is always in the way, right? And I just thought that was such a perfect way to phrase it. How many charges? He took like 60 charges this year. I loved what Musselman said about him. He's like, hey, you know, we love what he does, but just for his longevity, we need him to take less charges. That might be the only player I've ever heard in the history of basketball where the coach was like, hey, dude, take less charges. Yeah. The guy's unbelievable. Great, great defender. And and, and they need him because of everything they have coming in. Like that super star-studded freshman class that's coming in, they need that veteran presence, kind of the settle-down guy, and he is that. Uh, he's, I, that's he's not a, that's the, he's huge... not the most, he's not like the, your, your traditional rim protector, right? Um, but he, he is a rim protector because of how many charges that he can take. And when you combine that with all of the length and athleticism that Arkansas is going to have with some of the, I mean, look, uh, Nick Smith coming in, Anthony black coming in, Jordan Walsh coming in. Um, mm-hmm. they got the, the Mitchell twins transferring. They got the kid from Arizona state coming in. I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of other, uh, freshman they have like there's a lot of length and athleticism on that roster and when you combine all of that with having a rim protector that's what made them the best defensive yeah. team in the ACC uh, right the well there's two like Brad Brownell who I worked for for two years he, he would always say there's two ways to protect the rim you can either take charges and be in the right spot or you can be above the rim we kind of that sweet 16 year we had two guys one was a, a, a Eli Thomas and he was a great shot blocker and then off the bench, we would bring in a guy named Mark Donnell who transferred in from Michigan, who was a great charge taker. So you kind of, you didn't really lose a whole lot of rim protection because Mark would always get over there and take charges. So I, I think both are equally val- like, like valuable rather. All right. Do you guys have anything else written down before we I got on? two. Yep. Go ahead. My, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead okay. Fanta. So my player is 19 years old. My player Averaged over 10 points per game during Big Ten play and shot 39% from beyond the three-point arc. And as a defender, he grew as the season went on. He's six foot nine. He fits the bill of a three and D guy in the NBA. He's 19. He's got a decision to make. My player's Caleb Houston, who heads to the NBA draft combine next week as an interesting name, a trendy name. But if he comes back to Michigan with Hunter Dickinson, sometimes Wolverine fans don't necessarily value the talent that they had on their team. That Michigan team came on. They came on as the season went on. They started to perform like the team that that we thought that they could be. 
if Houston comes back, guys, and he averaged double figures in conference play as a really good defender, shot the three nearly 40% during league play, I think he could blossom into an all-Big Ten first-team type of player if things break right for him. And him and Dickinson together, Michigan's backcourt has a level of unknown heading into next year, a big level of unknown. I don't know what to expect from that team in their guard play. But if you've got Houston and Dickinson, Musa Diabate's gone. If you've got Houston and Dickinson, you've got a shot. I'm watching Caleb Houston's name. Yep. All right. Uh, I got one. I don't think he's going to come back, but I think because of some of the other uh, losses that his team took, I feel like he could have a much bigger role. Uh, Peyton Watson at UCLA, uh, who's a really talented kid. I don't think he's coming back, but I think he could benefit from being a larger part of their offense there because uh, Juzang's gone. Uh, I can't remember what Jaime Hawk has. He's going to stay, right? He's coming back. Yeah, so he's back. Yeah, but you, you get a bigger role in the offense. I think he could benefit. And then, guys, this one's in ACC country, and it has a lot to do with both these two players and their uh, current coach. Uh, Terquavion Smith and Darian Sebron are both very talented. Uh, Terquavion Smith is very skinny, 6'4". He's listed at buck sixty. I think he's skinnier than that, but he's a big-time scorer. NC State needs – they don't want them back. They need both of those guys back because they lost Manny Bates. They don't have a whole lot. Keats has lost all three assistant coaches this offseason, all three. So he's having a completely new lineup. Uh, you don't really know what the Wolfpack have coming back. Both of those guys could benefit. I think Sebron, out of the two, uh, he's really rangy. He can do a lot of different things on the floor. He's a little bit like Dalen Terry at Arizona, kind of the same kind of player that's good with the ball, can do a lot of other things, can score it, sure, but his value comes from doing everything. Uh, he, he's a guy that, to me, uh, screams the NBA if he can shoot it, which we don't know if he really can yet. And then Smith, because he can score it, uh, shows some value potential. But both of those guys, I'm really intrigued to see because if those guys leave, NC State doesn't have a lot. And Keats yep. needs to win this year. Yep. I have uh, I have two more real quick. One is David Roddy, who I think can be an All-American uh, at Colorado State next season if he decides to come back. I kind of think that he ends up staying in the draft. He uh, strikes me a little bit as someone that will be just a, like a quintessential role guy at the end. Yeah. Just have him out there, do a job. He makes some threes. He's switchable defensively. He can do some different things. Uh, the other one, Patrick Baldwin, who has – he's declared for the draft. Uh, he's also entered the the transfer portal. He was a guy that was a top five recruit in the country heading into last season, followed his dad to Milwaukee. They were absolutely atrocious. He had a really bad year, but he's 6'9". He can really, really shoot it. Uh, and if he doesn't end up getting any kind of guaranteed spot uh, or, or uh, an assurance that he's going to get a guaranteed deal from the NBA draft, I think it would make sense to come back to school because somebody is going to find a way to make sure that he gets something. Uh, heading into next season and you never know there's this, when, when you're that tall and you can shoot that way there's always a chance that you could end up climbing up those draft boards so I would not be surprised uh, to see him come back to school and look if he does that's immediately the best transfer available on the board um, all right uh, let's get into the some of these new coaching hires I, I want to know who you guys think um, out of the the new the new coaches that have been hired at the high major level, right? I want to know who you guys uh, are willing to bet your house on in terms of them finding uh, success at the college level. Tio, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Uh, guys, I developed uh, somewhat of a coach crush on Todd Golden of Florida. Whenever we got to interview him, I thought he was 
really bright. Nice. I thought he was sharp. He had a charisma about him, which you need. I feel like we are about to pick him. Is that what what you're what you're doing over there, Phantom? I I was not going to pick him. Oh, okay. No, I, I love I love fan. Todd Golden. I lo- trust me. It's a great yeah. pick. I'm not going to think I, I really uh, just because he had a way about him. It's, it's hard to really pinpoint that, but guys that can take guys with you guys who think outside of the box, guys who, who look like he's going to be able to recruit and find guys. Uh, he had a heck of a story about Anthony McElmore at Auburn, how he was the guy who was the backup and ends up starting for him at the final four. I thought that was really cool. Uh, his ability to find guys and the SEC that's so rugged. If you can find a diamond or two to play along with some of these guys that you're going to be able to get, uh, I think uh, that plus his analytical approach, plus all these different things, um, I think he's going to be somebody to keep an eye on and somebody that's going to have Florida in the second round of the tournament consistently. Well, Golden was mine as well. Mm. But okay, that's why. I, there, the one thing about this cycle was I thought that many schools hit some home runs. So if you're asking me, because the question is, the one guy that I can bet on that he will find success at the college level. It's easy because he's a college head coach and the program is a winning program. So if I can't pick Todd Golden to bet on, then I'm betting that Sean Miller at Xavier is going to be a successful ride. Here's why. Xavier is a staple to the NCAA tournament. They had missed it the last four years. That's because Travis Steele failed. That was the longest gap that Xavier basketball has had in missing the NCAA tournament since 1982, since the early 1980s. In other words, over the last three decades, Xavier has been one of the most underrated, really solid jobs in the country. They're committed to winning in basketball. They spend a lot of money in basketball. Walk into the Cintas Center and you will quickly learn it is run like a professional organization. Their desire to win in hoops. Does Sean Miller have some things that are hanging over his head? Yes, he does. And we'll see what the results of those things are. I think based on what's happened to others, I don't think it's going to be that severe. And I don't think Xavier makes that higher unless Greg Christopher, who's on an NCAA ethics committee and the Xavier athletic director, unless he checks in with some people to make sure that it's going to be all right at the end of the day. Xavier's a winning program. Before 2018, they had been to 12 of the last 13 NCAA tournaments. Chris Mack had them as a, a one seat. And as an 11 seat, got them to an elite eight. Sean Miller knows what Xavier is and knows how successful they can be. I think that the Musketeers are going to crack into a top 25 poll at some point next season or a couple times next season. I just think that it's, it's a, a bear that's waiting to wake up. That's always been a bear, but mm. the problem is they just haven't had the right leader the last couple of years. Like Xavier is one of the better programs in the Big East from an asset standpoint and, and from a success standpoint. They're going to get back on track here under Sean Miller. I'm betting that that works out for the Musketeers and that they will make deep runs in the NCAA tournament because Miller's done it. Xavier cares more than others, and they're going to continue to get talent. Travis Steele brought in talent. He couldn't weave it together. Sean Miller will bring in talent, and he will. Yep. Uh, so I think that, that Sean and Todd Golden were the two picks that I would have put here. Uh, but I think that the – Throughout this cycle, there were a lot of hires that I liked. Uh, I think Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall is a perfect fit. 
Yeah, he's picked, he's picked up some good players too. Yeah, I think he's going to find a way to get that thing going, and and, and um, Seton Hall is going to be at the same level it's been under Willard. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they're going to be winning the Big East. Um, uh, I, I think that's certainly in the range of outcomes, but there there's not going to be a drop off. They're going to be relevant. They're going to keep making NCAA different Big East now. Yeah, I, I love from Big East. The Big East store has never been this open. You're you're not you're not wrong about that. Um, I love Chris Jans at Mississippi State. That program, that dude with the way that he can uh, he can build rosters, the way he can kind of get guys that are, um, I, I don't want to say a diamond in the rough, but but kind of have a little bit of a, a little bit of a chip on them, right? That 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 have a little bit of stuff that they need to uh, to work on. I think that Kevin Willard at Maryland is a a really really good hire. Um, especially because of the staff that he's been able to put together. Uh, so I like that one as well. Um, I think I'm most interested to see what Kenny Payne's going to end up doing at Louisville. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be able to get players. I think he's going to be able to um, continue to develop that um, that program. I think that hiring Nolan Smith was really sharp. I'm a big fan of him. I think bringing in Danny Manning and making sure you have someone that's had some level of head coaching experience uh, which Manning has is is important when you're a first time head coach. So um, I really like that one uh, as well. I'm not going to sit here and kill anybody. Um, Prome? Are we not going to talk about Prome? Kind of to go along the the is, same is Murray, lines. Is Murray State as Fanta? Murray... We're going to leave. We're going to leave Steve out. We're going to leave Steve out. Grand Slam, along Murray the same State's lines. A high major as John Fanta. Mur- Dude, we might as well over the last however many years call Murray State close. Yeah, no, I, like I love he's coming I love back Prom home. Murray. I think higher. that I think that Archie's going to light it up at Rhode Island. Um, I think Frank Martin at UMass is going to be. Really I thought that was a program. great, not a good hire by UMass. I thought that was a great hire because oh, a he of a hire fits that school make. so much better than South Carolina. So yeah. much better. South Carolina is worried about. He made a comment a few years ago. I'll never forget it because I I feel the same way living in South Carolina. It's like, hey man, we just came off a of Final Four, and I turn on the radio and they're talking about third string offensive linemen. Like what? What? And and like that's that. I get it. I get it. Where I I understand where I live, but I also understood his gripe big time because it's just kind of crazy that they had success and he couldn't get he couldn't get that snowball going. Uh, UMass, a little bit gritty of her school, more gritty uh, in terms of basketball players they've had throughout their their uh, history. I think he is an excellent hire, an excellent yeah. fit. I'm really happy for Frank. I love Frank. I think he's awesome. One underrated hire in the cycle, Eric Conkle at Tulsa. He was due for a bit of a leap. This is a guy who won 20 or more games in six of seven years at Louisiana Tech. And the fact is, Tulsa's in an American athletic conference that is in flux. I mean, that that, that league is, is in a weird state. So the point is, like, if I'm Eric Kunkel and I'm on the run that he's been on, and I, like, I really like the way he coaches his teams, I think that that's a place that he can get Tulsa going because they're in a league that's gettable. It's it's manageable for him to step in and start to get his guys and start to do things his way. So underappreciated hire in the cycle for me was Coach Conkle. Yeah, I really like Michael Lewis at Ball State for for a number of reasons, but more than anything else, he is about as Indiana as you can get. He's from Jasper. He was State Player of the Year. He uh, played for Bobby Knight. He coached with Brad Stevens. Um, he's been on staff with uh, with Mick Cronin. He's been on staff with Tim Miles. Like he's he's. He's a he's a good basketball mind that lives and bleeds uh, the the Hoosier State. 
Um, and, and I just think that he's going to find a way to get ball state going. It's just, it's, that's the perfect fit for me um, when it comes to a head coach, but listen, uh, we've been here for almost an hour now. Um, we, <laughs> so uh, much for 30, 35 minutes and we'll get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's, just, it, it's Fanta starts telling stories. Um, before we leave Fanta, I need you to wrap it up. Please explain to the people what happened. You got hacked. What did you do? Let us know. How did this, down the how wrong this go link. down? Yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of, uh, of clicking on the wrong link uh, to a verified account. And somebody said, hey, you know, uh, you should click on this to verify your verification because we know what the blue check mark means. I fell for it. I did not check Rob's tweet, making people aware that this was going around. I fell for it. I was hacked. I appreciate that the hacker had fun with it. Uh, and didn't start sending out tweets selling 4.99 headphones. Uh, he tweeted out, people, "What do people like more, Fanta or Coca-Cola?" And uh, worked with Twitter support. It took about 72 hours. It was a relaxing 72 hours without Twitter. I binge watched a bunch of chick flicks with the lady, and uh, and sat on the couch and and uh, just kind of relaxed. But uh, thank you, Twitter support, because you got me back on Twitter and the hacker. The hacker has been solved. Hey, Twitter support. I need some help getting my blue check back. <laughs> I need a little blue check. I get, I get, I get bad advice from Doster and Goodman. Hey man, you need to get rid of coach on, on your Twitter handle. So I never said know that. you're doing that. I never you said get rid that. of coach. That everyone good, knew man. it. Everyone knew what you're, you, you wanted to do that. You were worried about people thinking you were still a coach. That's I right. said, T.O., everyone knows who you are. You just, no, you definitely, I said, T.O., you keep living the dream, baby. You keep living the dream. Oh, yeah. Well, I changed it. Hey, Twitter, I need my blue check back. Please. Please. Get it back. Get it back. We Listen, need, guys, we need this a, was we great. Blue check T.O. movement. We already had a give get, fan for his get stuff. Get T.O. his blue check. That's how we're signing this off. Get T.O. his blue check. Let's give go. me my blue check, Twitter, please. <laughs> <laughs>